as we are in the month of February to talk about relationships. Okay, so all of us in here, we're maybe at different stages in our life when it comes to relationships. Obviously, I'm married with Shannon, and so we're, we're married. You may be in here, and you're single, and you're like, I got nobody on the horizon. That's okay. You might be in a relationship. You know, you're dating somebody. You know, she might be named Emily Lemon, and, and like, you guys are together. Uh, no, that's Ellen. Sorry. Um, and so you're in a relationship. And so you're in all of these stages of life. And so we thought it would be best... To, to walk through relationships through the month of February. And so what we're going to try to do is each week take a different aspect of relationships. So you doesn't matter which stage of life you're in, hopefully each of these weeks will kind of apply to you in some way or another. You know, I'm very big, if you don't know me, never heard my teaching style, but I'm very big on trying to give you application. How can you live this out? How can I take truth from God's word and live this out? And so today, I want to start at the foundation of any relationship, and, and let's look at this idea of love. What is love? You know, we hear this word in our culture, it's like, oh, I love you. We hear that a lot. Or I'm really in love with, with this person, or I'm, I really love this band. Like, what is love? Because I think we throw this word around so often, and we may not totally have the understanding of what love is, and I think in order for us to love well, we have to know what love is. And so when we look, we can, we can see people all throughout our culture, and we go to all these different sources, which I'll get here in a second, to try to define love, and yet we don't seem to go to the source of God's Word and see what, what does He say love is. I can think about um, when we first got married, we went to Michigan City for our honeymoon. And the first night, my parents have a cottage up at Lake Huron. And so we, were, we stayed there before we were going off to Michigan City for the week to spend our week um, being married and enjoying and celebrating together. And so we go up there. And, and I did really well, I think, leading up to the wedding. You know, I, was, I'm, I tend to be a person that gets very anxious. And I'm like, okay, I'm processing all these things. It's good. I think I'm fine. We get married. I made it through the wedding. Things are great. And then we get up to the cottage. And we're sitting on the beach. This is like we, you know, the, the second night we were married. First night was terrible, um, not because of anything I'm going to get into, but because um, Shannon, I realized, <laughs> was sick um, because she is allergic to dogs. So I have a dog. I have a husky, if you don't know. And so she, the whole first night, I think she was up almost all night sneezing, blowing her nose. It was, it was just bad. And I... Uh, being the man I am, and some of you know me, not just from here, but just as growing up, I don't tend to plan things well. And so she shows up to my house after the wedding, and I have a full-size bed, and that's what we sleep in. So we're like sleeping on top of each other pretty much because there's no space. It just, it was a disaster. So, but we're not, that's, that's besides the point because I want to talk about the second night. Second night, we get up on the beach, and I'm sitting there almost in tears. And she's like kind of looking at me confused. And I just start going on this rant that I go, I, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm ready to, to like jump all in on this whole marriage thing. I don't know if I'm like, what happens if I don't love you in 20 years? 
church? Like, does, do we just stop? Like, I'm starting to go through my head, and I'm getting inside my head, and I'm like, I don't know if I just made a mistake. Not a mistake in terms of marrying the wrong person, but did I just jump into this? Because if you know our story, uh, we dated for four months, then got engaged, and then eight months later, we got married. So all within a year, we got married. And so I thought, did I move too quick on this? Am I actually ready to commit? And, and, and as I'm sitting there, I'm starting to wonder, is this what love really is like? Like when, when I imagine love, I imagine this feeling where I, I just couldn't think about anything else. That, that, that tingly feeling you get and just so much want to be with that person and, and be so in love that, that nothing else matters but that person. And yet I'm sitting on the beach a night after we got married, pretty much, wondering if I made the right decision. And I start asking myself, is this love? Because if this is what love is, I'm not going to be able to handle it. I'll tell you that right now. I can't go on the next however many years we're married, wondering if I made the right choice, wondering if I'm going to lose this feeling, wonder if I committed too fast. I can't do this. And I think so many times we've got situations in our lives that could be like that, where it's like, is this really what love is? Maybe you get into your, if you're dating or you're married, you get into your first fight and it gets ugly. I remember our first fight, that when we were dating and it was probably, probably the worst one we've had, I would say. And, and we don't fight very often. So if we do, you know, she just says she's right. And I just say, okay. And that's how it ends. So just, but, and you start to feel like, like she, she goes out and she sits on the back porch and I'm like, is this what love is? We just, now we just don't talk to each other anymore? And I think so often we just, we try to define love in our terms, and, and it makes us question, is this really what love is? You know, you can go anywhere in our culture right now. You can watch a movie. You can get on and listen to music. You can look at social media. You can look at influencers. And they're all giving you their definition of love. They're all telling you what love is. I know it's a, a movie that's a, a little older, but you, you watch a movie like The Notebook, and it's like, well, that's how love is. It's this crazy roller coaster where we fall so in love, and then they, then they split apart, and then they come back together, and it's this crazy love story, and that's what love is. Or maybe you listen to Taylor Swift's new album as she defines what love is, and, and you start seeing all this, and you're like, yeah, that's what love is. It's more like, I'm the problem. It's me. And it's like, what, what is love? I go to a movie and it says, this is what love is. Taylor Swift says she's the problem, so obviously she doesn't know what love is. Who knows what love is? And I think we're, we're so easily plugged into sources that are broken and trying to get a definition of something from the world where it should come from something a little more perfect, a little more standard, a little more moral. And so I want to challenge us as we look today at this idea of love, that in order for us to love well, we have to be loved well. We have to understand what it's like to be experiencing the love of God so that as we experience his love, that's the love that goes out from us. It's the, the greatest commandment, love God and love others. In order for us to love others, we have to love God first. And so in any relationship, what any stage you're in, and I'm even learning just through marriage, that there's so much of the aspects of God that I have to look at his love 
And when I see all these different aspects of his love, it helps me to love Shannon better. And so I'm not going to give you a definition. I don't know the perfect definition. But what I want to point you to is a story in Hosea to hopefully start to see this picture of God's love painted for us so that as we start to see how he loves, we can begin to love like God. And so for the next few moments, I want to unpack this idea out of this world. My teaching style or what I like to do is I like to try to give you one point, and that's what I like to unpack. So I don't make it complicated, don't have a bunch of points. So hopefully if you're like, I don't understand what your point is, hopefully I try to unpack that point for you. Out of this world. That's the kind of love that we should have. And so I think you've got to understand, you're like, Taylor, well, why would we look to God? For the definition of love. First John 4, 8. But anyone who does not love does not know God for what? God is love. God is the very definition of love. When we think of love, what I always say is that if you looked in the definition or the dictionary for the definition of love, what you would find is God. Because God is love. That's his character. That's who he is. He can't not be love. And so why would we not look to the definition of love for what love truly is? And I think this is where we begin to see his love play out a little more. You go down a few verses, still in 1 John, it says this, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. Like, just imagine this for a second. One of my, you know, Shannon shared one of my favorite verses, Deuteronomy 4.24, but one of my second favorite verses, and it's a verse that's so well known as John 3.16. Why do I like that verse so much? Because... To me, it helps me understand. I get stuck on. I've heard a lot of my favorite speakers talk about this idea of so love. The so love. And, and what they kind of imagine this idea of so love is this obsessive love that God has for us. That we're all that he thinks about. That, that he's so in love with us. It, it, it's indescribable. I could try to stand up here and explain how much God loves you, but I would never give it justice because it's, it's a love that's far past this world. Take anybody that loves you in this world and multiply that by 9 million, probably still not going to get close to it. We can't understand the love that he has for us. But when you take a verse like this and you want to see truly what love is, you're talking about a God that while you were dead in your sins, while you were apart from him, not in this relationship, he sent his son for you. Love is sacrificial. Love, love is this idea of, I'm going to lay down my life. This is what God does for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And as this verse says, this is real love. This is what love looks like. I mean, it's hard for us to imagine because I think we so often just go, yes, I agree, and I believe what God did on the cross for me, but just take all the stuff that you've done in your life. That's what he died for. He looked at each one of us and he said, I love you enough. And I'm going to send down my only son to pay a brutal death on the cross for you so that you can have life. And I think we just think in our heads sometimes when it comes to the Bible that God had to do that. But he didn't. I didn't have to send a son to die for us. He did, he did it because out of his love for creation, he wanted a relationship. He wanted to be intimate with his creation. 
and walk through life together. But because of, and I'm not going to give you the whole Bible story, but you go back to Genesis 3 because sin enters the world and it separates us. And so somebody had to pay the price. And God, out of his deep love for you, sends his son. And he says, I love you. I'm going to pay the price for your sin. And what's even more deeper in his love is that he pays this price, and there will probably be many, many people who will never accept it. You want to talk about love? It's not asking for anything in return. It's doing it because you have that heart, you have that desire, because what you love is most important to you. And that's what God saw in each of us. That's what real love is. And so that's why I want to, to set that tone as we look at Hosea, that, that we have to look at God because he is love. And he showed us what love looked like by paying the price for our sins. Then in Hosea chapter 1, some of you may not be totally familiar with the, the story of Hosea, but I think it's a phenomenal picture of the gospel. It's a phenomenal picture of love. And so I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to try to just contextualize it a little bit to hopefully get you um, in the setting of this story. But, but when the Lord first began speaking to Israel, it's Hosea chapter 1, through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute, so that some of her children will be, be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. Okay, so just imagine this for a second. Let's just, this may not be the exact thing, but Hosea is a prophet here, so let's just put it in a little more modern day terms. Hosea is the pastor. Hosea is a pastor. He goes along. He's doing the work of God. He's leading people. You know, he's leading young adults just like me. I assume that's probably what he was doing. And he, he's talking, and, and then as he's talking with God and trying to get, God, where do you want me to go? What direction do you want my life to be? And starts walking with God. God says, go marry a prostitute. Like, this is a guy that as you go out in, in society and in their culture, you look to him as a moral person. You look to him as somebody being able to lead you spiritually. And so just imagine for a second, just in his own head, as he hears this from God, I'm supposed to go marry a prostitute. I'm supposed to go marry somebody that's not going to probably stay faithful to me because God told me, and I'm the pastor. Like, think of... The pastor, whether you're from this church or another church, think of the pastor at your church, and they come to you and they say, yeah, um, I'm supposed to go marry a prostitute. That would seem a little weird. But this is what God's called him to, and as you can see, what God is explaining to him is that I want this to be a picture of Israel. I want to, this, this marriage to be a picture of what Israel's doing to me. So he goes. We're not going to spend time on, on this part, but... I just love the faith of Hosea and, and, and the, the walking with God through his life because it, it, God goes through this and then immediately verse 3 is where so's at. It just says, so Hosea married Gomer. Like just imagine that. Like I wish sometimes I always look through scripture and I go, what, where's the verses in between that talk about where he wrestled with God? God, are you, are you sure you got this right? You sure I'm supposed to be the one that's to go down? to the red light district, find a prostitute, and marry her? That, that's what you want me to do? I wish, I wish we could see, but, but we don't. And so he goes and he does that. And then we go to chapter 3. And this is where we begin to see the love of God come through. 
Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loved Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Then I said to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even me. So you start to see now, so Jose has been called to go marry this prostitute. And so he goes, he finds this, this person to be his wife. And then she goes back to her old ways. She can't stay faithful to Jose. She goes back down to start selling her body. But what you start to figure out uh, is that she not only was beginning to do this, but she must have found herself in some type of uh, um, sex slave trade because you see here as he walks in, you know, I listened to a couple different things and uh, some people have said that th this, when he walks in to buy her back, it's possible that he was walking in on her being sold to somebody else. And so imagine just for a second, Hosea, the pastor, has to go down to, to the place where all the prostitutes, the harlots are hanging out and trying to make their money. And he's going from person to person in this bad part of town trying to ask, have you seen my wife? You know how embarrassing that is? Have you seen my wife? She, she was just here a week ago, but I haven't seen her. I assume she's probably come back down here. Oh, no, I know who you're talking about. Gomer? Yeah, I haven't seen her in a little while, but she, she's been around. And then, he, you know, he's still walking through the district trying to figure out, where's my wife? And, you know, he could have had some awkward encounters. You know, have you seen my wife? Oh, I thought, I thought you guys were split up, but I, I didn't know. And just the awkwardness of him with such stature and reputation walking through this, trying to find his wife. Then as he walks in, possibly on her being sold, he buys his own wife back. Because he's supposed to love her. And I think what's very interesting in this picture-perfect world that we start to see what truly is love. We see through God that love is sacrificial, but we also see that love is messy sometimes. Love can hurt just imagine the hurt that Hosea's feeling, that, that he thought on their wedding day that they were supposed to be together and that they were going to keep this between both of them and not be an open marriage and all these different things we hear in our culture today. And so they were going to be exclusive, and that's what they thought. And then one day he wakes up and his wife's not there. And he's got to figure out, what do I do? But God says, go and love your wife again. Go through the messiness of what, what love is like and, 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 and go and find your wife. Love gets messy. Love hurts. One thing you've also got to understand, and, and we say this a lot, is that I think oftentimes we feel like love is just a feeling, but I think more than anything, love is a choice. Hosea chooses to go love his wife again. He chooses to obey God and go love a prostitute because that's what God's called him to do. And so, so much in our culture we go, well, I don't feel that way towards somebody, and so we just don't love them. Or I was dating somebody and the love just faded away. Love is a choice. Love gets hard. Love gets messy. There's days you're going to wake up and you're not going to want to be with that person. But it's choosing to say, I've invested in this person. I've chosen this person not just based on how they look, but because in my heart I love them. 
And our culture's trying to tell us, just do what your feelings tell you. And I'm telling you, if you just go off of your feelings, you may not be together very long. You choose to love, and through this story, we start to see God's love come through, because what does he do? Even though Israel, his people, or even though each of us drift away from him, what does he do? He still loves you. You're still important to him. What you've done doesn't matter. He cares to love you. He cares to forgive you. He cares to endure through the messiness and say that if you turn around, I'm still going to be there loving you. I mean, this is, this is the gospel message. We, we're, we're just like Gomer. So often God's like, I just, I just love you so much. Kind of weird maybe sometimes how much he loves us. But he's so in love with us. I love you, Taylor. You're just an amazing person. I just want to be in a relationship with you. Oh, I get distracted over here. Let's, let's go hang out and party with some people. Okay, let's go um, get in this relationship. That's not very good for me. Okay, let me, let me go this side. And all of a sudden I start weaving around and God's just standing there going, I thought, I thought we were going to be together. I thought we were going to be a relationship. I thought we were going to walk through life. I, I, I love you. Why, why don't you reciprocate that love? Why, and I think we get so distracted in our lives when it comes to love. And God, through it all, stays steady. And He keeps on loving. He keeps on loving. And He shows us. I mean, let's be honest. The amount of times in our own lives that we turn away from God and yet He still loves us. If love was just a feeling, God would have left us a long time ago. You really think that's going to bring you satisfaction? You really think that's going to fulfill you in life? I'm the only one who can. Yet He's still there. He's still loving you. So you need to know, as you look through this, that, that love is so many different things, but we see so much of God's love just continually pressing through the messiness, the craziness, forgiving, enduring all of these different things through this story. And we begin to see what a picture of real love is. But you say, Taylor, what, what, what do I do from here? How do I love well? Well, you've got to experience this love that God has for you. And then as you begin to experience it, there's one last verse or passage. Many of us have probably heard it in 1 Corinthians 13. This is how we love well. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. How do we love well? Well, just walk through this verse. Love is patient. You know, I see that in, in my own life now that we have our first daughter and how much I love her. I love her with everything I got, but she's a big bully. She likes to bully me. And I have to be patient in my love with her. But to say, okay, you can't slap me in the face because that's what you feel like doing. Or you can't come over and pull my hair because of my long hair and just grab me. Be patient. Man, I think the one that always tends to get me is keeps no record of being wronged. It's exactly what God does to us as he forgives us 
And I think so often so many things happen in our lives. You know, Shannon may say something to me that, that was mean, or I say something to her that's mean, or, or I uh, produce an action that's not very nice, and it's this idea that it keeps no record of wrong. In the amount of times that in our three years of being married already that we may have said something, acted a certain way, and if we kept record of those wrongs, I don't, I don't know how we'd still love each other. does not rejoice about injustice, but always rejoices when truth wins out. This is where we see difference in the culture right here. Love never gives up. Love is this idea that it pushes through, that you fight for your love. The culture says, ah, you lose the feeling you're having some problems in your relationship. Just give up and move on. But love is this idea that I fight through, that I will sacrifice, that I will submit. If you go to Ephesians chapter 5, a passage that so many people go to when it comes to marriage, what does it say about both parties? They're both supposed to submit. Submit to one another. So it's sacrificial, it's submissive, it's this idea of selflessness. Well, that's a hard one. But in order for it to never give up, never lose face, faith, always be hopeful and endure through every circumstance. It's laying down your desires sometimes and saying, I'm going to pick up theirs because I love them. And I care about them. And I want to push through these hard times. I want to push through this mundane time because I love you. You can go through so many different things, and I know I've already gone long enough, but this passage right here, man, if you just plant in that, and that's what your love looks like, that's the definition of love. Notice it never says how you feel. Notice it never says that tingly feeling that you have inside your chest. But it's a choice to choose to do these things on a daily basis. You want to live and in love out of this world, live like this. Live like God loved Hosea. Live like how God loved you when you shouldn't have been loved, yet he loved you with everything he had. That's what true love looks like. So I end with this story. Some of you may have heard this story, but you're going to have to hear it again because I, I try so many times when I sit down like bring some illustrations, bring some stories, try to find something different every time so I'm not repeating stories. But I, I've tried many, many times to figure out a different story when it comes to love, and I can't figure out another story that's good. And so um, when I was sophomore in high school, I'm not going to get into the details of everything, but I, I was a sophomore in high school, and I was dealing with some different issues in my life. Um, and so one of my issues uh, was really grabbing a hold of me. And so I couldn't seem to shake it, couldn't seem to let it go. This problem just kept coming up. It's like, you know, I'd have some days of freedom, and I'd not have some days of freedom. And it was just like, when is this thing ever going to be gone? When am I ever going to beat this thing? When am I ever going to have freedom? And it just, it, it wouldn't go. And so I'd gone to a winter retreat that year. I will always say it was probably one of my favorite ones. It was one year. Um, Greg Summers did one called Wage War, and it was one of my favorite summer retreats I was ever a part of. And, and he did some cool things, and God really moved in me. And I'm like, okay, I think I can, I think I can beat this, this addiction. I, I don't need to struggle with it anymore. And so I had been um, free from this for about like three months. 
I was like, this is, this is incredible what God's doing. Um, but then one day, I fell. And from that moment, I started on probably what I'd say one of my worst downhill spirals. For those that don't know me, um, from about my eighth grade year till about 20, um, I pretty much ran from God. So for, for eight years of my life or so. And so, but this really started this deep down spiral. And so um, I just felt like, well, I'm never going to beat this. I'm never, I'm never going to accomplish anything. I'm just going to just go into this and just keep letting it be a part of my life because I don't know what to do. And so at that point, as many of us may find that there's moments in our sin where we just want relief. There's moments when we're just trying to find hope somewhere. And so to me, I turn just like everybody else in the world to something, a substance, to try to help me find relief. Never been drunk before, and so I thought, let's try this, see if that can bring some relief. Um, so I am at my parents' house, and they had some stuff down there in the basement, and, and I got super drunk. Don't remember anything. Again, I'm like a sophomore in high school, so I don't, I don't understand anything. I don't know if I'm supposed to drink this much, whatever. I'm just, I'm going because I want relief. I want to find, I want to find hope somewhere. I want to just be free from this. And so my brother, being the good brother he is, and um, tried to find any way to get me out of the house so dad would not figure out that this was happening. But um, before he knew it, I was thrown up all over and if you want to also know something about my brother, when it gets hard, he's just done. And so finally he was just like, yep, he's calling all these people. Hey, can you come pick Taylor up? Can you get him uh, in the back of the truck? And so, you know, there were some people actually on the way to get me, some of my buddies, and, and I started throwing up. And he said, yeah, I'm going to get dad. And so he goes to get my dad. Um, I'm not telling this again to, like, air my dirty laundry, but I, I don't remember anything from that night. I don't remember a single thing from that night. My brother's telling me all these funny stories. Um, he said my dad came down and you know, slammed the door, and he's never seen my dad that angry. Um, so all this is happening, but there's one moment I can only see God putting this moment in my head. And I'm not going to get graphic for you, but I'm in the bathroom, and I'm throwing up everywhere, um, trying to get better again. And the only thing I can remember from that night is my dad standing behind me, and he just kept saying, I love you. I love you, Taylor. Like, wh why is that the only thing I remember? I, I don't know. But I see somebody that continually set the bar of what love is, that even though I mess up and make mistakes, it doesn't mean he stops loving me. Not just because I'm his son, but, but because he wants to show me what true love is and, and love gets messy and love hurts. Like, he loves me with everything he's got. You talk to my dad, he loves all of his kids, but how could he still love me after making a decision like that? And you may say the same thing when it comes to God. Well, how could he still love us after all these decisions? We can't explain it, but it endures. It never gives up. Love is always hopeful. And I've always been challenged and changed by that story because I've still wondered to this day why it is that I just remember that. But I think more than anything, God just wanted me to know what love was like. And I think from that moment that I experienced love, it's changed the way that I've loved people. Not just my wife, but everybody in general because I saw that night what love was. That wasn't a feeling, because I'm telling you, from what I heard, my dad was not in a loving mood. But yet he chose love. 
Let us be a people to choose love that's out of this world.